Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Color Me Dead. With Angel Maze and Nikki Toon. We're coming to you today from our new microphones and sound equipment and our new computer that we bought that we finally sort of know how to work. Right? I, I, that's a very loose term. I kind of know how to use I kinda it. I kind of know how to use it. I know how well, to use it enough to record, and I know how to export this if I need to to <laughs> edit it on the other computer. <laughs> well, the best part is that... Several years ago, all I used was a Mac. Yeah. And when my Mac shit the bed, I don't remember, I don't know if I ever told you, but the fucking battery, battery, the battery, the battery literally exploded in the bottom of my computer. And so it still worked if you had it plugged in. Yeah. But if, as soon as the power cord came out, it powered off. So I, you know, I didn't throw it away. I still have it. It's an old as fuck MacBook, but I moved on to... Adele. Um, Adele. <laughs> Sorry. Hello from the other side. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, my kids downloaded a virus onto that one, so we haven't been okay. using that. That's and usually so, my job. Oh, my God. So I quit using the Mac for so long that when we bought that and I started fiddling with oh. it, it took me a minute. I had to Google some shit to remember how the fuck to use a Mac? I don't know how to use it. And when Kagan was working with me, he's like, do you know how to do this? I'm like, I don't fucking know how to do anything. And you know what else pissed me off? When I try to right click, it doesn't right click. And he just started laughing no. at me. I'm like, God <laughs> damn it. Don't laugh. I don't know how to, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. It, like I have an iPhone. You think I would know how to use this? No, it's, no. It, it takes a minute to get used to it, but I hope you love you, Nerd. Your nerd computer. Nerd computer. I do love it. I love that it's little and I just ordered a badass color me dead. Um, skin, skin for, for it. it from Redbubble. And we've got, for that. thank you to Kagan Breitenbach yes, for he... donating new sound equipment because it's gangster as fuck. It really is. He hooked us the fuck up. Yes, he did. Yeesh. 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 Very much yeesh. Yeesh. And to go with our new sound equipment, we've got Studio Sweden on our ears that make it even better. Yes. I love that we get to use these now, finally, because we now have our own mics for and our own headphones. Fur. Fur. For other things other than listening to music and podcasts and drowning out the noise of our children. Yeah, I usually use mine to edit, but never to record, so now I, know, I get to I use know. them for Fucking both. Both. And if you guys want to go check out their excellent earphones, you can go to studio.com, use the promo code ColorMeDead for 15% off. It's S-U-D-I-O dot com. And the battery life on these things is bad as fuck. I've only charged, I've had mine since November, and I use mine for hours a week. I've charged them once. Yeah. I use mine because I, I put mine on quite a bit. Yeah. I think I've charged mine three times in the last three months. Like yeah. once a month and you're good to roll. Yeah. And they don't take that long to charge either. Huh. Once you get them charged, you're good to roll. Mm-hmm. I got Calvin his and he's only charged his once and he uses the shit out of his. Yeah. And they've got in the ear, over the ear. Mm-hmm. They've got lots of colors. Yeah. They've they got... have pink even. I want to get some pink. Buds. Oh, dude. And they have the you know rose me. gold for yeah all the girls that me-ish. are like super into that. Me. Well, yeah. If you... they would make them sparkly. Oh, Jesus. Even better. You know, you know this bitch likes her glitter, okay? <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so we also have the Purple Lotus who does our bath bombs. Nice. But they do a lot of different things as well. They have crystals. They have jewelry. They have um, a lot of different like oils. They do CBD. They do a lot of different cool shit. And you can find them at thepurplelotusonline.com. And if you use the promo code DEADPOD15, you can get 15% off all your stuff. So go check out their bath bombs would be my first recommendation. Oh, for sure. I use my uh, body farm. Oh, my God. Do you mm-hmm. love it? Oh, my skin was amazing afterwards. I, I was like, smell so like yummy. A, I, seriously, when I get out, I feel like a silky little fruit basket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I, I kept it. like rubbing my legs. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. You don't even have to use like when you're shaving. Mm-mm. You don't even have to use anything. Like, that's how good these are. Yeah. You can run a razor over your leg with zero friction while you have friction. that in your back. It's a friction. The friction. The friction. <laughs> you don't even yeah. need any shaving cream. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> so if you want to join our Patreon, we've been I've been starting to post our minisodes early. I'm going to get more audio in there from now on. Well, we've been slacking like a bitch, and we've got our stuff on order. The we've got different merch. things on order, like all of our merch. We had to find the best producer to create this stuff for you guys because the last thing we want to do is send you shit, shit. merchandise. And so we don't want to send you the shite. We don't want to send you the shit. <laughs> shite. Shite. Arse. Oh, Fuck are. arse. <laughs> Fuck arse. <laughs> uh, so we've got. Different things in the hopper as far as like the water bottles, the lanyards, the hoodies, all of those things. And I'm so sorry that it's taken this long, but we really wanted to find the best product. And those motherfuckers can catfish because you you find a price and then you're like, oh, hell yeah. And you get it made and they're like, okay, it's this much per and then a $50 setup fee and then $80 to ship it. And you're like, well, fuck, I should have just gotten the the other ones that are twenty dollars a piece because now it's the same it it, so, it really is a process you guys and and we do apologize we're getting there um just bear with us because once the shit comes it's going to be badass and once we get it all we'll have stock so when the new patreons add then we'll just send them out as you sign up but we're getting it all out it'll be out soon we promise and we promise it will be worth it and we will send some little special extras for you for extra waiting. Yeesh, extra. Extra. We go to patreon.com backslash color me dead podcast. So. So. Shall we start with our new friend? Sure. I don't like him. His name's Rodney Alcala most days. Okay. So, but you can't see our new friend. He is not a friend. Because this guy is not a friend. Like, if I saw no. him in the street, I would cross the fucking road to get the fuck away now, from him. Now, but, <laughs> but back then... I mean, he was a slimy little motherfucker. He exactly. Was, yeah, he's that's a oh god. He's he's getting in my head. All right. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, like when I was reading and watching the documentaries, there was a couple of times that I felt my vagina pack up my fucking ovaries uh-huh. and threaten to leave me. Oh yeah. Be oh, like, yeah. bitch, if you keep watching this shit, we're gonna go. Oh well, and here's a parenting tip: when your kids get older and want to go places without you. Hand them this book. And be like, here, I need you to read chapters, this, 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 and this. Yeah, and when you think a guy is okay, a nice guy, read this book. See what this okay, nice guy did. (laughs) Okay. The book is called The Dating Game Killer. 
It's the true story of a TV dating show, violent sociopath, and a series of brutal murders by Stella Sands. It's a good Thank book. You, Stella, for putting that together for God, us. poor Stella. I feel oh, bad for right? her and the mind fuck she went through to write this book. So if you guys haven't picked up on it, we're doing Rodney Alcala, The Dating Game Killer. Yes. And this is going to be at least three to four parts. Uh, yeah. When There's I, a lot. I originally lot. had it planned out for two until I started and... No. Once, well, once you started reading the book and I started doing the documentaries, yeah. I was like, hey. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know what your thoughts are. And you're like, no, bitch, four parts at least. <laughs> well, I'm eight. I got eight, 80 pages into the book. I have a whole episode written. So the, if it's 17 parts, don't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And you guys have to see, like, when we post photos oh. of this motherfucker, the mullet on this motherfucker. Yeah, and he goes through so many special hair changes throughout time, and what he ended up with, fuck. It's, fuck. It's, it's, fuck, yeah, I guess. It's That's quite a hairdo. <laughs> you have quite an amazing hairdo there. So, Rodrigo. Rodrigo Jacques Alcala Becour, a.k.a. AKA. Rodney was born August 23rd, 1945, in San Antonio, Texas, to Ana Maria Gutierrez. I almost fucked that up, even though I knew where I was going with it. <laughs> and Raul Alcala Bacor. Bacor. I'm not familiar with that last name, Bacor. Me either. I looked it up. Like, every time I typed it and wrote it, I looked it up again to make sure I was writing it right. Because I was like, I don't know that. Mm. Uh, Rodney was the third child of four. The oldest was Roy, who was born in 1941, then Marie-Therese, a.k.a. Packy, born in 1942, then Rodney, and then the baby was Maria Christine. So they have a Marie and a Maria. I know. I said the same. That would okay, fuck so me up. Mom, like, how do you yell at your fucking kids? Well, mom's Anna Maria. They have Marie is the oldest. The baby is Maria Christine, but she went by Christine or Chrissy. So. Oh, so fair enough. But she was born in 1947. So just to go back through that, 1941, 1942, 1943, 1947. You just had a whole bunch of fucking kids. Bang, 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 bang. Way too goddamn fast, bitch. Give your vagina a fucking rest from both ways, from pushing them out and pulling it in. Stop. (laughs) Make it stop. I don't know how people do that. Because some people like to have kids in rapid succession. Succession. Oh, my my God. Fucking. (laughs) My girls were 22 months apart, and that I felt like I pushed one out and then pushed the other one out. I can't imagine 1941 and then 1942. Like, I at least had 2011, 2013. <laughs> Come on. People do some weird shit. I don't know. I mean, if it's what they want to do and they have a one, yeah. like, like, they want to do a bunch of kids. And it is easier to have them closer because those girls take care of themselves. I'm like, here, just toss some mm-hmm. food in there. They're good. Fucking throw them a cheese stick and yeah. some fucking Barbie dolls and they're ready to roll. And some chocolate milk the staples (laughs) (laughs) not at my house when they stay at my house it's fucking orange juice and lunchables oh shit you switch it up yeah look at you go i know (laughs) they asked for chocolate milk and i was like i don't even have anything to make with that don't do it it's a trap and then they leave it places and then it smells like throw up okay so we do fucking orange juice at least that stays citrusy yeah you can get drunk of it if they leave it somewhere. You'd be like, sweet jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Let's try apple juice next time. 
Yeesh. Yeesh. So their family was a middle-class family. They lived in a middle-class neighborhood. They lived close to the Alamo, close to the zoo, so they'd go do fun family things on the weekends. They weren't ever bored. It wasn't like they were in poverty and, you so know. So it wasn't like some Mary Bell shit where they're no. playing in fucking no, and, yeah, sludge yards. Not at all. Not not this guy. Not today. <laughs> he went to a Catholic school and maintained, an abo- maintained above-average grades and was a respectful and kind child. In 1951, his grandmother became ill and wanted to spend the rest of her childhood in Mexico. Er, rest of her childhood, Jesus. How about the rest of her life? <laughs> her childhood is over. <laughs> just, she's ill and going so, downstream. Yeah. Just so you know, your childhood is over. <laughs> She wanted to spend the rest of her life in Mexico. And so Anna Maria loved her mom so much that she took her. They moved the whole family and they went to Mexico. So she could die. So she could die there happy. While they lived in Mexico, not only did the grandmother eventually pass, but their father left. Rodney's father left. Like bailed and went went back to the States. Went back to the States. In 1954, Anna Maria and the four children moved back to, not moved back to L.A., but moved to L.A. There, Rodney attended St. Alphonsus in East L.A. for two years. After that, he went to the Cantwell Sacred Heart of Mary. (laughs) That name. However, his senior year of high school, he was like, Mom, I don't want to do Catholic school anymore. I can't say that I fucking blame him. Yeah. I want to go to public school. So she was like, okay. That you can go to public school for your senior year. So he finished out his senior How year. How weird would that be, though? Like, to leave your senior year from all the people that you know and what you're familiar with and go to fucking public school? Yeah. Like, to me, that feels very intrusive. As, like, I wouldn't want to do that. Like, yeah. Well, my mom and dad tried to move me as a sophomore yeah, to a too. completely different state. Me too. And, and I, I was like, like no. no. To Missouri. <laughs> They wanted me to move to Missouri, which the school was really nice, and they had good dance programs. And My mom and dad tried to take me to Colorado and then New Mexico because my yeah. dad was looking at different places because he was following the pipeline. Yeah. And I threw a fucking fit, and I was a horrible cunt. Oh, like did we, the same. We went to look at houses in New Mexico, and I was that kid that was, like, slamming fucking doors. I wouldn't eat. Yep. It was like, take me home. <laughs> I did the same thing. <laughs> and they took just me. It was, like, me, my mom, and stepdad, and we went and because my brother was gone. He was at the Naval Academy at the time. My little brother and sister, were way, they're way younger. They're eight and ten years younger than me, so they don't give a fuck at that point. No. So I'm in high school. I, was, I think I was 16, 17 at the time. I was driving, and, so I was at yeah, least 16. Yeah, I think I was too. And they wanted to take me to Columbia, Missouri, which now looking back, I'm like, that would have been badass. Like, I, um, I wished I had been less of a shit heel. Yeah. Because that could have been... Super cool. Yeah. But to leave all of my everything that I knew. Yeah, that's what I was And he fucking of. volunteered for and it. And he, but yeah, l- luckily it was in like the same town. It was still in LA, but he went to, he went to high school in, where he graduated. Well, he went to the Montebello High School and graduated in 1960, which is the year my mama was born. That has totally irrelevant. Irrelevant. Remix. It's irrelevant. On June 19th, 1961, he joined the Army. His older brother, Roy, was attending West Point in New York, so he was the second in their family to be part of the Army. 
He was stationed in North Carolina, which I think is weird. Do you get to choose? Because he's mm-hmm. already in L.A. and they put him clear across you, the you U.S. Don't, yeah, no, you don't pick where you're stationed. I wasn't sure how that worked. Anyway, while he was in the Army, he was a paratrooper and a clerk, among other things. However, in 1962, his father, who was a Spanish language instructor, passed unexpectedly at the age of 55. Even though he'd moved on and remarried, the children were still close to him, and they were all completely devastated. In 1963, he hitchhiked all the way from North Carolina to L.A. and surprised his mom. He just showed up and was like, hey, mom, how's it going? And she's like, why are you here? And he's like, well, (laughs) what a shitty thing to be like. Uh, so you're here. You're my kid. Yeah. Fuck are you doing here? Yeah, like, but uh, three thousand yeah, miles across the whole place. Hey, mom, what's you, up? But you weren't excited to see your kid. I think she was excited, but then like, what the why fuck are, are you here? here? And he was like, Well, I'm AWOL. Oh shit. Yeah. And she's like, I don't get it because he was always such a good kid. She didn't understand. She's like, I don't know why you are AWOL. Why? And that's pretty serious fucking charges. Yeah. And so she finally convinced him to go turn himself in. Fergus. Oh, Fergus, you've you got can't, to turn yourself yeah, in. You've got to turn yourself <laughs> in. You can't go AWOL. <laughs> You're going to go to prison. To prison. So he went down to his local recruiter and turned himself in. At that point, he was given a psych evaluation and was immediately hospitalized because he needed immediate psychological care. Mm. Weird. They believed huh. he had a nervous breakdown, and during all of this, he wouldn't tell his mom what was going on. She was like, why? Why? And he wouldn't ever say anything. Uh, at first, he was put in a hospital in San Francisco and then moved to a hospital on the Marine Corps base at El Toro near Irvine. His mom visited visited him every day, hoping that he was going to be okay. And after several months, he was discharged from the Army in February of 1964. The military diagnosed him with severe chronic antipersonality disorder. I'm unfamiliar. Well, I with will t- anti-personality I'm disorder. Gonna... Like I know about multiple personalities. I know about DID. I know about many things so hook me up we is gonna learn we're gonna learn about today is gonna learn what this is okay but i need you to read it in bubbles voice okay (laughs) i can't i'm trying to put my julian (laughs) julian i don't think i can work with you guys anymore (laughs) this is i'll fuck it up i can't even get it in my brain let alone try to get it out of my mouth Whoa. Put it in your mouth. Put it in your mouth, bitch. We don't want to just take it, it in out. your mouth. You motherfucking <laughs> mouth. Okay, so tell me. Uh, according to the DSM, a person with antisocial personality disorder displays the following traits. There is a pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others occurring since age of 15 years and indicated by three or more of the following. (laughs) Failure to conform to social norms as indicated by repeatedly performing acts that are grounds for arrest. Deceitful as indicated by repeatedly lying, use of aliases, or conning others for personal profit or pleasure. Remember that, please. Put that in your brain. 
Impulsively or failure to impulsivity. Jesus Christ, I am failing today. No, that word would have fucked me over. Impulsivity. (laughs) Or failure to plan ahead. Irritability and aggressiveness as indicated by repeated physical fights or assaults. Oh, Jesus Christ. Like half of this... I know. Don't Sounds don't like do me. that. I did that while I was reading it. I'm like, well, oh, um, fuck. Uh, maybe I'm just mild. I don't know. Somebody call a doctor. <laughs> I need immediate assistance. <laughs> I'm going to need you to take me to urgent care. <laughs> maybe a little bit more than urgent care. Reckless disregard for safety or of self or others. Consistent irresponsibility as indicated by repeated failure to sustain consistent work behavior or honor financial obligations. Well, at least I pay my fucking bills. Fergus. Fergus, I pay my bills. I pay my fucking bills. <laughs> Lack of remorse as indicated by being indifferent or rationalizing having hurt, mistreated, or stolen from another. B, the individual is at least 18 years old. C, there is evidence of conduct disorder Hmm. with the onset of before 15 years. So that should give you somewhat of an idea. So basically a fucking con artist with sociopathic tendencies. And the part with the aliases, those are the parts that we all need to remember. Pays attention that he has been diagnosed with the severe chronic. Pays attention to that. So after he was released from the hospital, he decided to go and apply to CSU with the hopes of eventually getting into UCLA, which is a pretty well-known educational facility. He was immediately accepted, which isn't a surprise because he was in the army and his IQ tests were very high. He actually tested over 140, which is like fucking genius Genius level genius level so yeah when he applied they were like um yes oh yeah of course which i wonder if they don't take into account his previous mental now but are those things that are readily available yeah yeah for that in mind for later too yeah those are things that are discussed when you apply to a college it's not like they're asking for your fucking mental and physical health yeah, unless you're gonna play sports or whatever, right? Maybe now, yeah. If uh, if if you're going into certain programs, they're like, okay, but what is your, what is your mental health status or what is yeah. your physical status? I know that if you go into sports, they're gonna do a physical, and if you've got like a, a bum kidney or you you have chronic fucking IBS or something yeah. like that, like that might exclude you. But it's not like UCLA in the 1960s was like. You got yeah. any mental health problems? In 1964, they're like, on their thing, do you have mental health problems? I don't even think they ask that now. I don't, I don't know. know. Do they? I don't. They uh, fucking Like should. I know. Like I go to college. I don't know. He excelled at CSU and eventually transferred to US. Uh, oh my God. USCLA. Transferred to UCLA to their arts program because he wanted to become a photographer. He was on honor roll in 1968 and graduated with a bachelor's in fine arts. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Yeah. Fuckhead. Which, which he should have used as a good thing, but he didn't. No. Because he's a cunt. Because he's a You're big a cunt, 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 cunt. <laughs> we need to play that song. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump to a different section quite a bit. 
Yeah. So we're, he we're gets switch gears here. We're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna tune it up for you. We're jumping straight into the meat and potatoes of the fuckery. Yeah. There so, was no good way to trans like. There wasn't a transitional in, yeah. piece that could be used for this. So. It, n- Fuck this guy so yeah. much, so hard. Yeah, and not he in starts the way he off. Wants it. No, he starts off cunty as fuck, and it doesn't get better. No, it most certainly does not. So, eight-year-old Talia had been staying in the Chateau Marmont Hotel in West Hollywood because their house had burned down. Now, I know that this is like, what the fuck? Where are you guys going with this? Hold tight, grab your ass, because we going for a ride. Yeah, and if you don't know what the Chateau Marmont Hotel is, it's apparently this big fucking hoity-toity oh, motherfucker. Oh, fuck. Go Google that son of yeah, a bitch. Yeah, you should look that up. So her ho- her home had burned down. Now, Talia would wake up every morning by herself, walk to school. She attended Gardner Elementary. She preferred walking because she didn't like to ride the bus. She would leave an hour early to get on time. On September 25th, 1968, while Talia was walking to school, a man drove up to her and started talking to her, and she dismissed it at first, but he mentioned that he was friends with her parents. Can we please fucking talk to our kids about goddamn stranger danger? Yeah, I want you to give my children an entire background on our whole entire family before my child will decide to go with you. And even at that, she probably better not go with you. It, it's, it fucking frustrates me to no end mm-hmm. that certain people, like, have you watched those fucking videos on social media experience where people will go out and, like, try to lure kids away while their parents are watching? And they're like, no way, my kids are not going to do that. And then they fucking go. Yeah. And this Fuck. is in 1968. Like, well before we started talking before to Before Stranger Danger was yeah. too, like, like it is now. I mean, right. I wasn't alive then, so I don't know exactly how bad it was, but... Yeah, clearly not <laughs> as fucking stringent as it should have been. If you're letting your eight-year-old walk to school and not worry about it, like... I mean, I let my even... son walk home from school, but, like, who the fuck is going to kidnap... Logan. They're not big enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's fucking... You're going to need a team Mother- of people. <laughs> Motherfucker's six foot six and almost 200 pounds. Like, good luck. All he has to do is play the dead thing. Like, <laughs> fucking play possum. Dead. <laughs> Just pee on yourself and go limp. <laughs> God. So, Talia dismissed him at first, but then he mentioned, hey, I know your mom and dad. Uh, oh, okay. And uh, he would like to show her a picture. And she was like, oh, okay, well, you know my mom and dad, so it's okay. So she got in the fucking car with him. Yeah. <laughs> so Donald Hayden was on the other side of the street and saw all of this going down. Now, he was sitting in his car, and he's trying to talk himself out of being nosy and yeah. getting involved. Yeah, but when you see a car slow down and talk to a little girl who's sort of hesitant at first. Yeah. And then watch her get in, he's like, uh. So he didn't feel right about it. Thank Jesus. Yeah. Flips around and follows them to an apartment. Once he got there, he watched them go into an apartment. When, uh, oh God, come on mouth. He went to a nearby payphone and called the police so that they could check it all out. The police told him to wait there for the officers to arrive. And when he called the police, he's like, this could be nothing, but it could be something. And I can't live with myself if I don't tell you At least say something. Mm -hmm. Officer Chris Camacho of the LAPD was the first to arrive on the scene at the apartment. He knocked on the door and Alcala was like, hey, give me just a second. I just took a shower. I need to put some clothes on. And this cop was like, 
he could see like through the through, little through blinds. The, yeah, he yeah. was like, I see that you're naked and shit, but you have like ten fucking seconds. This is the part of that documentary I watched that like fucked me up. Well, because at first he was thinking, I'm gonna yeah, you're naked, but you don't look wet. I'm gonna give you a minute. He's like, you have seconds to get yeah. fucking dressed because I'm coming in this fucking house. Well, he heard a moan. He noticed that he wasn't wet, and then he heard a moan, and he was like, all right. So he was prepared to take a wait for him to get dressed, and then he hears this moan, mm-hmm. and he's like, no, open the fucking door now. Right fucking now. Like, uh, we, we're not fucking around. Open the door. So he was like, I need you to open the door, or I'm going to fucking kick it in. And at that point, Alcala opens the fucking door. So what he finds in the beginning searches of this apartment, he found photography equipment and inappropriate pictures of little girls. He also found a trail of blood that led him from the living room to the kitchen. And when he followed it, he gagged when he found what was there. As would anyone. I'm not sure I would have been... I think I would have, like, passed out. Like, it would have been over. One of two things would have happened. I would have either fucking rage passed out. Yeah. Or attacked him and fucking choked him to death. Like, plucked his eyes out of his head. I'm not sure. Well, yeah. In the kitchen, laid a little nude child on her back with her head bashed open. There was a... Oh, good God almighty. There was a heavy bar like a barbell laying across her neck. Her legs were spread open and blood had pooled everywhere between her legs. Off to the side, her dress was laying there with her little white pant leather Mary Jane shoes. Mm -hmm. There's pictures of it in this book and I'll try to find some to post too. Ooh, be careful with that because some people don't. It's just the clothes. Okay. You can, it's not that, her. Like, She's it, not in it. It's it, just That fucked me up in the documentary. Oh, the like whole, her this... little white pant mm-hmm. leather Mary Janes. That's when the, t- it, why shoes would make me upset? I guess maybe because it's like, I got my fancy shoes on, yeah. going to school. And there's a picture of her that day in her clothes too that I have. Or I don't, I don't think it's that day, but it's in an outfit. Kind of like what she had on that day. Ugh. Comancho noticed that she still had a slight pulse, so he removed the bar off her neck. She was still alive, and he calls an ambulance. While this is all going on, the asshole Alcala slips out, out the back. back fucking door. Like, fuck. So I can understand where the officer was more concerned about the victim. Yes. And, like, taking care of her, taking that fucking bar off of her goddamn neck and, like, helping her. Well, and to give a little backstory on Camacho... He had just came back from leave because he was involved in a shooting, an officer-involved shooting. And so he had been on leave and was hoping today would kind of be a chill day. And this is what his first day back on the force is. And so he may have been a little off his game when you see that first thing going in there. And Well, then... I, I appreciate the fact that he fucking attended to her first. Exactly. It sucks that fucking Alcala got out the back door mm-hmm. and was like, peace out. But had he pursued Rodney and versus not, not mm-hmm. helping her, I mean, yeah, it's where do you go catch, with that? Catch. Either catch way, 22. He, did, he did amazing yeah. because he saved her life. So Talia was taken to the ER and went under emergency surgery. It took several hours. Twi- oh, Jesus Christ. Hold on. Let me get my shit together. 
Because when you say this shit out loud... It's horrible. It makes it worse. You can read it, you can write it, but as soon as you go to say it... Well, either way, it makes me sick. Either way. It really Reading, does. writing, saying, I don't give a shit. I think sick. when I read it, my brain processes it, and you're like, ew. Mm-hmm. But then when you say it out loud to other people, you're like, fuck. Yep. Yep, it's worse than I thought. It's worse. Mm-hmm. It took several hours and 27 sutures to sew up her head, and they weren't sure if she would survive. Officer Comancho and Donald had saved her life. She regained consciousness over time and was able to move her limbs. Luckily, she only remembers looking at the pictures. Her family couldn't handle living in town where this had happened, so they ended up moving to Puerto Vallara, Puerto Vallara, Mexico. While Talia was in the hospital, they went back and searched the apartment. They inspected the building and they searched the apartment. They questioned neighbors and found out that the, the person that lived there was a student of UCLA. They also found his student ID badge and found out that it was Rodney Alcala. Go fucking figure. When they questioned students and neighbors and professors at UCLA, anybody and everybody that knew him said he was a nice guy and he wouldn't hurt a fly. Hmm. 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 Well, she was more than a fly and he fucking brutalized her. her. Yes. The fact that they mentioned the pool of blood in between her legs, like, that fucking ruined me. Yeah, I was not okay with that at all. Okay, we're going to switch gears again. While we remember Talia, we're going to switch to another story here. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Just a wee bit, but it will all come together in the end. Because he's a cunt. Cunt, 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 cunt. In 1968, John Berger applied to the NYU Arts Program and was accepted. He had applied a few weeks after the term had begun, but since he had such an amazing interview, they let him in. From 1968 to 1971, he worked as a security guard to pay for rent and tuition. He had lots of friends, and he was considered a catch to girls. He had maintained a 3.5 GPA while having a job and a very healthy social life because... What is a healthy social life? I mean, he was a ladies' man, bitch. <laughs> I mean, I, I would like to know what a healthy social life is because... Or a social life, period. This is our social life. I mean, there you're goes not wrong. your social life. <laughs> Clueless. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he doesn't want said, anything yeah. flying at my nose. Balls, balls flying, flying at, at my nose. nose. There, there goes, goes your, your social, social life. life. Love that movie. <laughs> in 1969, Berger sent applications to be a camp counselor at an arts and drama camp in New Hampshire. He was a major asset to the program. He was asked to return the next two years as a camp counselor. He graduated in NYU in 1971 at the age of 27 was on the road to becoming a famous photographer. He had all the social hookups and now the degree. That'd be fun. It would. I mean, younger Dude, I'm going to be 37 in a few yeah. weeks. Like, I don't want to be on the fucking road anymore. No, no. I did that shit when I was younger. And it was super fucking cool. Like, I did a lot of cool shit. I traveled a lot. I did a lot of gangster ass shit. I had a lot of fun. But now my back hurts and my fucking knees <laughs> no, are I'm swollen. Old. I got a bed <laughs> by eight, bitch. I motherfucker. I have kids to think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, leave John Berger in your mind. Because we're going to bounce again. It'll all come together, and you'll all, you'll appreciate the whole story in a minute. Just stay with me. Spider webs. Spider webs. They all intertwine. Uh, we're gonna move to Camellia Crilly, aka Michael. 
uh, she was from Woodside, Queens, and had two sisters and two brothers. She belonged to a close-knit family. She graduated from the All Saints Commercial High in Brooklyn, New York in 1965. She worked a few clerical jobs to save money to go to flight attendant school, which had been like her dream for quite some time. One of her jobs, one of her clerical jobs was in the law office of Jacobs Persinger and Parker, where she met a young lawyer named Leon Bornstein. They fell quickly in love and were exclusive in no time. She was very gorgeous. She had a hot body and was like a total catch. Smart, hot. Had a career. Like brought something to the table other than a vagina. Exactly. Perfect. And I'm sure she had a good vagina to bring to the table. I'm sure she did. I don't know. I don't know. In 1969, she went to TWA flight school in Overland Park, Kansas. She made lots of friends, and when she graduated, she moved back to New York City. She was still with her boyfriend. They knew that when the time came, when she got the money, she was going to go. So it was, you know, they knew it was coming. So they stayed together while she was gone. She and her friends stayed with her boyfriend for a little while, and then they got themselves in an apartment in what was called the Girl Belt in New York. Interesting. It was a place where a lot of the New York professional working women and not hookers, like flight attendants and, <laughs> you know, working women, not, it wasn't, not, not, not corner working women, <laughs> women, not sex workers, not prostitutes, yes. not hookers. Yes. It was actual the working women's with the, with the job well, I'm, that I'm like not pay taxes. That <laughs> How about that? Oh, that shit. solidifies right. it right there. Okay, I'm not saying that the other ones don't work because they put in fucking work. Yeah, but... they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. Oh my god. Sorry. No, it's me. Like the things <laughs> that me. roll around the, I know. my fucking head. Sorry. So the building that they were in had a buzzer. But there was no doorman, so it was fairly secure, but not, it wasn't like. Yeah, but anybody know. could buzz them in, right? I don't think so. I think that they have, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, fuck, I never or lived was in it a only buzzer. the person that they fucking buzz? I don't know how I that don't works. I don't know how that works. I've never lived in New York City. Okay, June 24th, 1971 was moving day. The apartment that she got was with two of her other friends, or other flight attendant friends, Paula Brown and Linda Bauer. Okay. They were both working moving day, so Michael was moving by herself. She Why the ha- fuck are we calling her Michael? I don't know. That's just what it said. It said her name was A.K.A. Michael, and I looked at how it was spelled 15 th- times thinking it was Michelle. It's Michael. I don't know. I don't. Okay. So when you hear her name later, it's Camellia Crilly, just to re... Right, but I'm just like, why the fuck did she go by... Maybe I don't she was know. like early, like, trying to make that move into... Like a transition. Or maybe it was her middle name. And she liked that better than Camellia. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. I'll I'll try to find that information out for everyone. Uh, She had a close relationship with her mother, and they often talked to each other like multiple times a day. And on moving day, she had called her mom, told her the apartment was beautiful, let her know how her moving progress was. She also called her sister, who lived not far away, to see if she could come and help her. But her sister was busy and was like, I'll help you in a couple days, but I can't help you today. And she's like, that's okay. When she had been talking to her mother, she told her, or her mom told her that she would call her in about two hours. When her mom called, there was no answer. She waited 30 minutes, called again. No answer. She kept trying. No answer, no answer, no answer. So at 530, her mom finally called her boyfriend, who was at work. 
and told him that she'd been unable to reach Michael for hours. Bornstein, who was the boyfriend, told Michael's mother that he would go in and check on her. He wasn't that worried. He was like, she's got to be just in between. You've got you got to just be missing her. Well, she's back and forth. You, you know? know what? When you're moving, though. Yeah. Like, it's not like you're fucking on your phone. No, you're yeah. like heaving fucking boxes and bullshit. Yeah. So he went home, changed clothes, and then headed to her apartment. He knocked and there was no answer. So I think he went to the apartment first, to his apartment, because he knew that she was moving stuff out of there. And so he was like, well, I'll go change, see if she's there, and then go to her apartment. Right. He tried to climb the fire escape, but he couldn't quite get in there. So he walked to the police station, which wasn't very far away. He knew a lot of the officers there because he worked with them through the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, where he now worked as a dis- as Jesus Christ. As a DA. As an assistant DA. Because they had to call him in the middle of the night for things to come check shit out all the time. So they, like, they all knew each other pretty well. Right. They were buddies. And at 8.45, the police arrived to the apartment, which they were doing, like, a courtesy checkup. Is that what it's called? When they, um, it's um, called a wellness, wellness check. Wellness check. That's what it was. I couldn't think of the right word. They were able, they knocked on the door, no answer. So they went through the fire escape and began to search search the apartment. But there was no sign of break-in or foul play. As mm. boyfriends waiting at the door, they're going in through the... I just sounded like your dog when she lays down. <laughs> the boyfriend was waiting at the front door. And he heard the glass break, meaning that they got in through the fire escape. So he's like, oh good, they're in. And he could hear them kind of searching through the apartment. Mm -hmm. They checked. Like, the living room was fine. There was no signs of a break-in from any other way except for how they just got in. Checked the first bedroom, nothing. But then in one of the bedrooms, they found a body. There was a partially clothed dead female with a stocking around her neck, lying on her back. Her upper garments were stuffed into her mouth. There was saliva and bite marks on her breast, and the face and body had undergone severe trauma and appeared to have been sexually assaulted. Sorry, I gave you all the murder shit to read. No, it's fine. I it's just okay. realized that when no, you I'm fine. going. I'm like, I'll, no. ta- I'll take the easy stuff, all right? No, you're good. So at this point, they let her boyfriend in and told him what they had found and that they needed someone to identify the body. What a shitty fucking way to find your partner. And when when they came in, when they went to go let him in, at first he was like, are you playing a joke on me? Is this like dirty cop humor? Like, are you, are you I, fucking I, with me? Is this fucking candid camera? Yeah, and he, like, he literally thought they were just kidding at first. They let him in to identify the body. He didn't want to see it. I can't fucking blame him. No. Um... He told them that he didn't want to identify the body, and the cop offered a description, and that's when the boyfriend knew it was Michael, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Comelia. Now, the cops thought she had to know her attacker because there was no sign of break-in, so naturally, they took the boyfriend in for questioning because, obvi- obvious- obviously, he came in invited. Yeah. Like a fucking vampire. Yeah. So... He was interviewed for several hours about the events of his day and about their relationship, if they fought, if they had any, you know, relationship issues, Mm -hmm. all that extra shit that the cops are going to fucking dig into. Yeah. Which, good on them for at least fucking doing that part. Yeah. 
They took him to his apartment to check out where they questioned him some more. So they like, they went to his place to look around and be like, what else is going on in here? What do we got going on? Yeah. Yeah. So they made the murder a top priority with 25 officers on the case. Like they started out with 15 and then added 10. In New York. Yeah. Uh, which takes me back to like the Joel Rifkin case Mm -hmm. where people were like, ah, fuck it, whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't a sex worker. It was a fucking TSA flight attendant. And so they're like, oh, fucking 25 officers on it. This is weird. This is not okay. Once her family was notified, they didn't want to identify her body either. What? She was fucked up. But... Why wouldn't you want that closure? Like, I understand not wanting to see the body. Yeah, they didn't... They they wanted to identify her. They wanted to know it was her, but they didn't want to see her. See the Because they had been warned that she was in bad condition. Oh, that would be hard. That would be hard. I recant my fucking statement. (sighs) So, her boyfriend did it to spare them the heartache, which, good on you for being fucking... just gave me the chills again. A little bit of a hero. I've read that at least five times now, and it gave me the chills again. Her mouth was open with rigor mortis because it had already set in, and she already had, she still had the garments, like, shoved in her mouth. Well, she didn't have them in her mouth. They That's, her like, mouth, where her yeah, mouth had been, like. Because she had yeah. been there for so long that her mouth was stuck open, like, there was no way to close it because the rigor mortis set in. Yeah. He could barely tell it was her because she was so disfigured. Let that fucking sit in. Mm-hmm. Find your girlfriend like I that. don't think I could do that. I No, and when that I would post pictures rough. of her, she was so pretty and so sweet looking. And the coroner had collected DNA from the bite marks, but no match had been made. And a $5,000 reward had been offered for any info. Now, on June 27th, another $5,000 was offered by members of a professional steward's uh, stewardess yes. and stewards association. Mm-hmm. So these were her fellow co-workers that had reached out and offered additional funds to find out what the like, fuck. Yeah, get information on her fucking attacker. The neighbors in the community were all scared now because the shops were closing early. Like people were getting the fuck out of Dodge. They early. were like they were changing like, locks and shit. Yeah, like I'm getting the fuck out of here. Can you blame them? No, like places that used to stay open all night or late into the night were like we're closing at like when it gets dark. Yeah, like fuck fucking this. four o'clock, sun's going down. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, peace out. Bye. So her boyfriend was finally ruled out as a suspect. The handyman of the building was also checked out as a potential suspect, but was ruled out because of his ally, uh, alibi. Mm-hmm. What did I just say? Ally. Ally. Alibi. Hopefully his alibi wasn't just an ally. Ooh, fuck. Mm, you dirty motherfucker. I think his name was Freddy. Freddy, you dirty motherfucker. Freddy. So 1,500 people attended attended this little girl's funeral. I don't even funeral. think I know that many people. The case went unsolved for literally decades. Literally. literally. We will cover that and you might have to hang on. You gotta hang on. Four. That won't come out until the very last part and I'm very sorry for that. I'm not. 
I'm not That's either. That's what has people This is an back. amazing story. It like, really is. So, not in a good way, amazing. No. It is, well, I don't know. It's fucking it, interesting. Yeah. So, meanwhile, John Berger was photographing young women all over Manhattan. Now go back. Dun, dun, dun. Go if back. I had music to put, if I was smart enough, when I get smarter with this, <laughs> that's where the music will come don't in. Don't fucking ask dun, me dun, to do it. Dun. So don't I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to, I'll make it with my mouth. <laughs> with my mouth. <laughs> with my mouth. I'm going to make the music with my mouth. I just made all the drama with my mouth. With my mouth. In August of 1971, Berger's third year as a counselor at the camp. Remember, he was asked to be a camp counselor. Remember that jumping around we were doing? Yeah. I'm trying to keep this bitch suspenseful. (laughs) (laughs) What else? There were two girls that were attending that camp that walked into the post office to mail some letters. While they were there, it started raining. So they decided to stay there until the rain let up. Rightfully so. Yeah. While they're in there, they decided to look at the FBI most wanted list. Because if you guys remember, in most post office, po- post offices. Post offices. Po- <laughs> Do you go to the post office? You might have to explain to some of our listeners what a post office is. They do still exist. We still appreciate you, Mike Adams. Yeah. Goddamn right. Where people will go and fetch their fucking mail and send fucking packages. Yeah. But they put the FBI and the missing people up there. So they're looking at the FBI most wanted. They saw a picture of a guy that looked like John Berger. They talked about how much it looked like him and how he was wanted for crimes in California and how his name was Rodney Alcala. Dun, dun, dun. Did I do good? You did do good. <laughs> um, they also knew that John had always lived in New York. The poster said that he had harmed a little girl, and they knew John would never hurt a little girl. Never. Never. When the rain started to let up, they went back to camp and told the director about what they had found. Now, the director was curious, so he went back to check it out for himself, used the post office phone to call the FBI, using the number listed on the wanted poster, and was like, yo. Uh, we might have a match. Ooh. Y'all might want to come fucking look at this a a little bit. A little bit. A a little bit. Listen, Dee Dee. (laughs) (laughs) Come check out this wanted poster. Uh, So he encouraged the director to go back to the camp. He was like, act normal. Don't say a word. Don't let him know. Keep the girls quiet about what they found. Make them act normal. He also advised him, like, keep an eye on Burger and to not let him be alone with any of the little girls. Yeah, because this camp was a camp full of younger children. Little baby girls. While he was 20, in his mid-20s. Yeah, he was like 27 to 29. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were all young. And that's right up his fucking alley. Isn't it, though? I guess all chicks were, as we will figure out. Skinny, luckily. Hefty hoes got left alone. Again. Oh, so Win for the hefties. I'm going to eat a piece of this candy that we got. And ce- a celebratory candy. <laughs> the FBI showed up the next day to investigate John Berger at the camp, the arts camp. They took him into custody and found that his fingerprints matched those of Alcala's and put him in jail. Steve Hodel of the LAPD had been put in charge of tracking down Talia's attacker. When the FBI found Alcala... In New Hampshire, Hodel was on his way there, like, fucking now. He was on a plane right now. Like, fucking immediately to question this guy. Mm-hmm. 
On August 12, 1971, when he asked Alcala why he sexually assaulted Talia, everybody get your shit and get it together for just one second. He responded, <laughs> wait for it. I don't want to talk about Rod Alcala and what he did. Um, but you, but you are Rod Alcala, Alcala. and so we and need, John Berger. We need to talk about what you did. <laughs> yeah, and he acted like he was talking about somebody else. Like he was like, I don't want to talk about that motherfucker. They said, Hodel said that that answer haunted him for fucking ever, forever. Yeah, I don't want to talk about what he did. No, that's I, like me talking about blackout Nikki. But um, that's different. Should we Blackout post Nikki the picture is a of biatch. Blackout Nikki on the fucking stairs? <laughs> on the stairs. I think pretty much everybody's seen it, but we can put it on there if we want to. That shit, that is my favorite fucking picture ever. Alcala was extradited to Los Angeles and then taken immediately to jail. Talia's family were now out of the country. If you'll remember, they went to Puerto Vallarta because they couldn't stand living in this country anymore. Right, they where were like, that we're... horrifying shit happened to their daughter. We're like, we're fucking out of here. Yeah. Um... Instead of taking the case to trial, the prosecutors arranged a, a plea. For kidnapping, raping, and almost beating Talia to death, Alcala pleaded guilty to child molestation and on May 19, 1972, was only sentenced to one to ten years. They gave him an intermediate sentencing, which means... So one to ten, like where, where are we at? It means that in the one to ten years, if he rehabs i guess you could put it oh fuck that then he can get out sooner so they don't give him a definite sentence so that they can decide how he is and then he can get dude out. i'm all about rehabilitation for a lot of different things i just don't um it... for bashing in a child's head because of his intermediate sentencing he was evaluated in august of 1974 after spending just a little over two years in jail and found considerably improved and the diagnosis that the army gave him 10 years ago, or 10 years prior, apparently didn't matter anymore. We read the fucking definition of this. We show that he has multiple personalities, and they think he's okay after he's been caught with all of this. Apparently, oh fuck them. Anyway. Oh, no, he was paroled and was like, ah, just register him as a sex offender. Yeah. <laughs> but In Los Angeles, I don't know if he had to be... I don't know if that meant it had to be all over, like with the FBI, or I think it's how does with, that work? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was like nationally. That was the word I was looking for, nationally or just locally. I think it's within a range of your residence. So, like when you look up a sex offender, it has to be within X amount of miles of where you are. I don't know. And I could be completely wrong. Maybe we should look into that. <clears throat> I'm sure that you could look up sex offenders fucking everywhere. Oh, yeah. So. Especially for, if they're registered. Yeah. So, for beating her, bashing her head in, putting a, a bar on her neck. across her neck, molesting her, raping her to the point that she's bleeding everywhere. Oh, God. Nearly killing her. That? He goes to prison <clears throat> for less than three years. Because he's a slimy bitch. A pool of blood in between her legs. Yeah. That will haunt me for the rest Forever. of my life. Forever. Once he was paroled, he went to live with his mother. He got a job with a photographic company and was to take pictures of shops all around L.A. 
One day, only nine weeks after he got paroled, he saw a little girl waiting for her bus by a shopping center that he was there to photograph in Huntington Beach. She looked like she was about eight years old. Her books had her name on them in big letters, Julie. Julie. He drove up to her. He used her name because he's sly like that. And he told her he would take her to school. And he used his little sly, slimy magic and talked her into getting in the car with him. And he's like, no, I'll drive you to school. It's way better than the bus. He told her he had some posters he would like to show her first. And she decided she'd rather go with him than ride the bus because fuck the bus. So she gets in. When she gets in, he's like, how old are you? And she said she was 13. And she's like, I look a lot younger than I am. And I hate it. Uh, You know, people always treat me like I'm a little baby, but I'm 13. And he's like, when you get older, you'll really like that. (sighs) He told her his name was John Ronald, alias number two. As they chatted, he drove right past her school. She said, hey, that's my school. And he kept driving. She tried to, like, she tried to get out as he's slowing down and stopping. She's trying to get out. And he's like, nope. And he grabbed her, made her stay in. He's, he continued driving on the Pacific Coast Highway. And he told her he had to make a quick, quick stop at an apartment. And she's still trying to get out. She's fighting. She's, she's trying to jump out. He yells at her, grabs her, says, hold still and shut up. And... Drove to a spot along the cliffs. They got out, went over to the, you know, to be on the cliffs, made her smoke weed with him, and then he started to French kiss her. She's 13. How disgusted was she? Oh, so like, disgusted. A grown fucking man is shoving his tongue in her goddamn mouth. That's the, she was like absolutely disgusted. Luckily, down below, there had been a park ranger walking through the trails and saw them. He smelled the weed, so he was like, all right, we're going to check this out. And she obviously tells him, she's like, I'm here against my will. He took me. The park ranger was like, yeah, well, I don't know. We'll see about that because there's a lot of young girls who, I guess, would go and cry that they had been abducted because they were somewhere they weren't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I don't know what to do here. So he's like, I'll just take you both What a in. fucking horrifying thing for a young girl to be like, hey, I've been abducted. This is, I don't want to be here. And he's like, ah, yeah, we'll fucking well, yeah, see you about here that. smoking weed. Like, of yeah. course you're going to say you were Fuck. abducted. Yeah. God damn it. No, when a little girl looks at you, like, even if it's fucking false, you look into that shit. Yeah. Well, so they arrested them both. And took mm. them both in. They background checked her, realized that she was okay, that she was telling the truth, found out that John Ronald was is Rodney John Berger, Alcala. fucking yeah. Rodney Alcala, and fucking... They, yeah, he's, he's, he's West Coast right now, so he's Rodney Alcala. John Berger is West Coast, and apparently John Ronald is just an, a, a tweener. <laughs> it's like... You said God. West Coast twice. Sorry, East Coast is... East Coast, West Coast. East Coast is Burger. So if he's on the West Coast, he's Tupac. Yes. On the fucking East Coast, he's, he's Biggie. Biggie. Uh, what's in the middle? I don't know. I don't know no, either. No, notorious. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> and when they found out that it was Rodney Alcala, they found out he was violating his parole. So he was taken for a ju- taken before a judge and charged with the sale of pot, kidnapping, and violating parole. Taken to jail. On December 26, 1974, he was found guilty of only violating his parole 
and providing a minor with drugs. Never mind the kidnapping shit. Isn't that a felony? Like, providing a, a, a minor with fucking narcotics mm-hmm. or drugs of any sort? Mm-hmm. That's a fucking felony, right? So. Yeah, which it is, it is a felony, so he was taken back to prison. Fuck. This time he was taken to Chino for two and a half years and then to California Men's Colony in San Luis Obispo. But in June of 1977, he was once again deemed reformed and released on June 16th of 1977. The way that you say it sounds like a fucking God. like prayer camp. I know. It was deemed he reformed. It was deemed That's reformed. That's how they keep acting. Like all of a sudden he's fucking... Like, look into what he was diagnosed with, because I feel like it was pretty fucking spot on. Well, and, and it was look clear. at what he's doing. It was doing. fucking clear. Like, Everything he's doing follows it. Right. But nobody was looking into it. But ever. he's deemed reformed because now he can fucking make <clears throat> you think that he's a good person. Yeah, you're reformed because you're a slimy piece of shit. Fuck. A slimy piece of shit? No, he's a fucking dirty piece of shit. So his slyness gets better. Once he gets paroled and released, he decides to ask, he's ballsy enough to ask, if he could go visit family in New York City. And his parole officer granted it. Across the fucking country. Yeah. From California to New clear York. Clear to fucking New York. After and his he... parole officer's like, ah, you know, you're only abducting teenagers. Might as well go. But he seems sorry for what he did wrong. Oh, well. So Go. Just oh. go to New York for a month. It's cool. Bye. Bye. Seize ya. <sighs> Check in. <laughs> am I allowed to hiss at him? <laughs> Sir, am I allowed to hiss at you? Because I'm Dude, gonna. I fucking hiss at people in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, motherfucker goes, 1977, bails from California clear across the fucking country goes to fucking new york now we're gonna shift gears a little bit again because that's <clears throat> the name of the game this time that's what we're doing we're keeping you bitches guessing yes and so 23 year old ellen jane hover was a black-haired beauty and an heiress she graduated graduated she graduated from beaver college in glenside pennsylvania in 1977 where she majored in biology and minored in music she was brought up with money and a very naive girl yeah unfortunately for her yeah so on july 13th 1977 there was a big blackout in manhattan that would scare the fuck out of me yeah and it lasts for like it was the 13th and the 14th so many many hours Ellen had been outside her apartment talking to a tall, thin man with a ponytail. Someone who saw them chatting later asked her, who was that freaky looking guy? She told him it was a friend and it was all right and that he was a photographer. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. On July 15th, she had gone into the library and then back home for lunch. At that time around noon, a neighbor saw this photographer knock on her door. Now, that night... She missed a dinner date, which was not like her. Big red flag. Yep. She was not known to not call her parents for daily check-ins or miss appointments. Now, her parents tried to call her throughout the night and into the next morning. By mid-morning, her mom and her stepdad were like, fuck this shit. 
We're, we're calling, calling the cops. Mm-hmm. We're getting the fucking policia. Right now. Right now. Involved. So when the police arrived at her apartment to check it out, they found no signs of a break-in. The only thing that they found was an open diary where she had written John Berger, photographer. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not going to stop. Sorry. No, it's perfect. Every it's time like, there's a reveal, it's I'm like doing the, it. It's, it's like the fucking ghetto NCIS. <laughs> perfect maybe i dun, need to dun, come dun. up with a key like you know how um svu has dun, dun. Like, so when the police arrived at her apartment to check it out they found no signs of the obvious break-in now the only thing that they really did find was a diary where she had left it open and she had written john Berger, photographer when they told her mom and stepdad what they had found they immediately put out a hundred thousand dollar reward yeah her for, family was rich as fuck yeah they were wealthy as balls for any information regarding their daughter's disappearance her stepdad was very wealthy government district law attorney um when he found out the name of john Berger, he hired a private detective to go and find out more on this guy and all they really found that was he was a photographer with a ponytail yeah like what else are you gonna find out about john Berger? because there's nothing on john Berger. No, because he didn't really fucking exist. Because he was Rodney Alcala, the child molester. Exactly. They hoped he was just a guy that had fallen in love with her and they had, like, run away, but they put posters all over the fucking city. And I don't... Is that, like, a thing? Like, back then, you just, like, you fell in love and you fucking bailed? I don't know. I think that was them grasping. Like, hoping... Like, like, something... This is best case scenario. She fell in love and they took off. I hope. Fuck. I don't... I, I really don't know. Um, and even though Ellen and her family were high on that social scale, her disappearance was one in 17,000 reported in the city, reported in the city. Sorry, I got mush mouth reported in the city annually. (laughs) So every year there's over 17,000 people that are going fucking missing in 1974. Imagine what it is or not 74. Sorry. 77. Yeah. 77. So imagine what it is now. Yeah. God knows. Especially with the fucking human trafficking. We should do an episode on that. God. Jesus Christ on a cross. So, on top of that, the only fucking lead that they had was, it's a photographer with a fucking ponytail. Okay. So, narrow that down to about... With a name. 5,000 dudes. Yeah. Like, in the... In 1977, in fucking L.A., like, was it L.A.? No, they're in New York. They're in New York. They're in Manhattan. That's right. No. He switched D's. Yeah, we've switched like, back to Burger. It doesn't even fucking matter. Like, even in New York. Oh, it's a photographer with a fucking ponytail. Yeah. It, well, he's got nothing. He's went to NYU. He was a camp counselor. So if you're not looking into his... I, I Was the... How, how? Here's what I want to know. <laughs> was the... Private investigator, a lazy motherfucker, because at that point he had already been extradited back to L.A. once. He'd been in prison a few times for multiple years. But was it under John Berger or Rodney Alcala? It was under Rodney Alcala, but if you're any kind of a private Private investigator, you're going to catch that uh, link because they have already linked that. The FBI has already linked that. But was that readily available for the average Joe on the fucking street that... Is like, oh, it's a photographer with a fucking ponytail? I don't know. I don't know either. 
questions. So many questions. Well, it's not like it's not like things are now. No, well, you like can just Google I can it. I can fucking armchair sleuth. The I can shit pay Intellius the- twenty dollars, and I'm gonna know everything about you, bitch. For reals, like I can Google the fuck out of you. Yeah. I mean, I'm you boring. Me, you want me to Google the fuck out of you? Google the fuck out of me, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> if you Google me, you're going to find that I don't have any speeding tickets. I've never been arrested. Oh, my God. You're going to find that I have speeding tickets. My last ticket was in 2007 when I was pregnant with Calvin and I didn't have my seatbelt on. Judge me. I know. I should have had it on, but I didn't. That was it. I think mine was in 2011, and I'm not going to say why. No, you're not. I don't want to. No. I'll be judged. Judge, judge, judge me. <laughs> judge, judge me, me do you? <laughs> Crazy enough, this just all happened at the time that Son of Sam was kind of wrecking the city, mm-hmm. which I'm sure put the panic into a lot of people. The police were plenty busy with his killings, and he was apprehended on August 10th of 1977. It was determined that Ellen was not one of his victims, so the NYPD began to track down John Berger. However, he had just returned to L.A., and that time he had just returned from, like, a family visit. Finger quote. Finger quotes. Because by the time they got back around to trying to find John Berger after Son of Sam happened, he he had just returned back to L.A. from his second family visit. In El Paso, Texas. Yep. Quite some ways away. Yeesh. Yeesh. So Rodney Alcala had returned from his month-long visit to New York in 1977. September of 1977. I was getting there. Sorry. I was getting excited. So excited! I'm so excited! So 1977, in September, he returns and began looking for a job. He got a job in Los Angeles um, at the Times. So using a super fucking hyped up fake resume. Of course. Fuck yeah. Like, how are you going to get a job at the fucking Times doing anything but, like, sorting mail? Unless you fucking pull a don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Yeah. And you like pull your fucking resume out yeah. of a fucking book and you're like, I've done this, 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 this. Do people not do background checks anymore? Um, Clearly they do not. So, fun thing, he used his real fucking name. Let that fucking sink in. And he'd been on the top 10 most wanted. He used his real fucking name, Nikki. And been in prison. Top 10 most wanted. Real name. And he uses his real name. <laughs> Do you know what a back... And there, it's the LA Times. Like, that is what you they're supposed to Jesus. do. Y'all are supposed to fucking... Yeah. Oh, my God. Details are your life. I can't get the fucking words out. <laughs> You're supposed to do your goddamn research. <laughs> Isn't that your main job? <laughs> You fucking look into shit. I don't know. Yes, I do. <laughs> look See, into your employees. I got a hobby where we look into fucking research and oh, we look, your clearly paper did fucking good. more than you. Yeah. Your paper uh, looks great. You hired. He was super outgoing in his job. Turned out to be like this ultra charming fucking human being. Of course. Like he turned it on thick. Like 
fucking rubbed the butter on the muffin. I didn't know he knew how to do that. He's never oh. done that before. Oh, my God. How does that happen? Oh. Whore. So- <laughs> <laughs> Me or him? Him. <laughs> we know you're a whore. He's a bad way whore. You're the good kind. You're Fair a, enough. You're a like, I'm not upset. Whore. Uh, I'm married now. I said you're Spencer's whore. I... Look, I got one. I got got one. one. I got one. Uh, So anyway, turned on the charm big time, telling all about his Hollywood parties. He had, like, all the things he had done, where he had attended, all the friends he fucking had, all the famous people he knew. So he was using that schmoozy, like... Look at me. Look at me. I'm so famous. I'm so spatial. Um, one of his coworkers said that he was very open about his sexuality and even brought it out in one of his portfolios of children he photographed. Uh, can we throw up now? Yes. Yes, let's yes, throw, we can. Let's throw up. And when she asked about the photographs, he said, my parents, not my parents, the parents gave me permission Mm-hmm. Right. Bouncing around again, we're going to go to Jill Barcom. She was born on December 18th, 1958 in Oneida, New York. Just so you know, that's where the Oneida uh, silverware comes from. I mean, facts here. Fun facts. <laughs> Fun fact. Fun fact. It's Oneida, New York. I don't know if I already said that. She was the fifth of 11 children. When she was 17 years old, She quit being the golden child because she'd always been the golden child, a good kid, blah, blah, blah. And she started getting into some trouble. And when she did, she dropped out of high school and moved in with her big sister. In October of 1977, she decided she'd had enough of Oneida and left without warning and moved across the country to California. She didn't tell any of her family where she had gone or that she was leaving, Until she got there a week later. Well, she had already been there, but a week later, she finally called her family and was like, oh, hey, I'm in California with my two friends. At this point, she was 18. The friends she had moved there with got their van repossessed and eventually ended up moving back to Oneida, but Jill stayed there. Her family was, like, kind of happy, like, maybe, maybe, Maybe well, her one brother. Yeah. The catalyst. Yeah, our one brother was like, maybe she's doing what she wants. Maybe she'll be happy. Or maybe it would be the catalyst that fucking sent her home. Yeah, you never know. You you don't. You never know. On November 10th of 1977 at 7 a.m., the West L.A. Police Department received an ambulance call and a dead body. Oh, sorry. It was the dead body response call. Yes. Where they were like, oh, hey, by the by. There's a dead body here. You gotta come pick up this fucking corpse. When the police arrived on scene, they found a female on all fours, low to the ground. Her knees were bent with the tips of her toes on the ground, and her inner thighs and knees were pointing outwards. She didn't have panties on. Her buttocks were spread wide, and her face was shoved so far into into her chest that it looked like her neck was broken. The top of her head was touching the ground between her knees. Her right hand was pulled under her body and the fingers that were curled and the fingers of that hand were curled up directly under her lacerated anus, which was three or four inches off the ground. Mm-mm. Could you imagine? Could you? No. No, thank you. When you get a I dead would, body call, that's I, not. I, I would prefer not to fucking see that. Ever. 
Or even to read about that was enough. I don't want to see her it. lacerated anus. And her fingers can, were can, posed up in there or by it. Can, can, can we not with yeah, that shit? Can, can you fucking not, Rod? Could you fucking not? God damn it. The ring and index finger of her right hand were both covered in blood that had dripped from her vaginal and anal areas. There was a pull of blood from under her anus. Her sweater was pulled up on her back. She had no socks or shoes on. The backs of her shoulders and arms, her shoulders, arms, and legs were blood-stained. One pant leg was under her knee and, the, and was soaked in blood, and the other was tied around her neck. The bottoms of her feet were perfectly clean. Two footprints were in the soil facing the buttocks of the body, and there was a circle of blood around her hair. Or her head, sorry. Ugh. Same thing. A seven inch long, five inch wide, three inch thick rock was found in oh the blood God. circle. Okay, this, the, I, I have to fucking mentally prepare myself for you to say this out loud because. Well, this is just her head. I know. Not just, but it could have been. Yeah. The thing you need to mentally prepare for is the autopsy. I know. The rock was found in a blood circle with a blood-stained point. The ground around her was splattered with blood. The, offers, the officers immediately called for backup and secured the area. Once the pictures were taken, they took the body to the morgue, and it had yet to be identified. So we're going to touch base. Uh, oh, my God. Sorry. My mouth is fucking failing me. We're going to touch base on a piece of the book. That we mentioned previously. It's just the autopsy report from... In regards to the autopsy. Not just. It's a horrible autopsy report. So I'm sorry if I fumble fuck through it. It messes with my head. Massive head and neck trauma, including deep cuts embedded with broken bone fragments to her skull. Blood seepage all around her brain. Small blood vessels in her eye and those around her heart ruptured from pressure and the deprivation of oxygen. Three ligatures around her neck, a top ligature of her blood-soaked left pant leg tied to a granny, tied into a granny knot under her left ear, a middle ligature of two knee-high nylons knotted together and tied around her neck, a bottom ligature of a woman's belt cranked tight around her neck, a deep bite mark surrounding the nearly severed nipple of her right breast, four blood smears like four fingers where quote where the offender was holding the breast while he was biting the nipple jesus christ blood smears all over the body where the assailant was quote manhandling and twisting and pulling and doing whatever whatever mm-hmm. deep scratch marks indicating defensive injuries on her arms shoulders pelvic area and abdomen multiple bleeding lacerations and cuts penetrating her anus singed pubic hair in this report, Dr. Mother, Mother, singed pubic hair. It's going to go into more detail. I, I know. Too. I know it is. And I just, I fucking. Yeah, I can't. Go. I'm trying to read the words without processing them because I can't with this. Okay, go. I'll shut up. Oh, you're fine. In this report, Dr. Bre- Breton stated that stated these conclusions. The body was that of a female, four feet, 11 inches tall, weighing 95 pounds. Almost all of her injuries were inflicted while she was still alive and blood was pumping through the body. She was strangled with hands and then with ligatures and then bashed on the head. The beatings to her head were ante- antemortem 
which means before death. Before death. She was definitely alive. The impact of the blows to the head were consistent with that from a rock. There were multiple causes of death, blunt force trauma to the head and and to the neck, either of which could have killed her, with strangulation as a contributing cause. The coroner theorized the deceased did not walk into the crime scene because there were no bare footprints. The, uh, the offender picked her up to get her into the position where she couldn't, where she could be sodomized. Her well, anus, as tiny as she fucking yeah, is, that's wouldn't take person. much. Mm-mm. Like I fucking dare you to try to pick me up and put me anywhere. But ninety-five pounds—that's no, dude. I can pick up fucking. You can pick up ninety-five pounds. Yeah. Mm. Her anus was torn and the area bruised, so she was still alive. Although it appeared to be perimortal, just as the person was dying. Reaction. The two, oh, two, con- sorry, it's two okay. contusions, lacerations of the anus itself just below the, vag- the vagina indicated while she was being sodomized, the perpetrator's fingernails were digging into her skin. The victim's pubic hair was singed up the left side, showing that a flaming instrument was placed between her legs and into her vaginal area. The victim's final position was posed with the assailant's bloodied hand manipulating her left leg and hip. Swabs of fluid were taken from the genital area of Jane Doe 95. Through microscopic examination, sperm was observed inside both her anal and vaginal cavities. DNA technology was not available at that time to help solve the crime. Ugh. He came in both orifices? Mm, I guess so. Well, you would have to. Like, whether it was pre-cum or yeah. a full... Load. Um, ejaculation. He left DNA in both. Mm-hmm. Okay, hold on real quick. I got the pre-puke slobbers. Sorry, I told... That was the it's part fine. that was rough that I no, was I knew. you about. No, I knew. I knew. I just... It fucking... That made me sick both, yeah. Well, this is the third time made me sick. I'm going to move on. And I got the fucking... Yeah, me too. All right. Investigators were now focusing on identifying the body and finding the perpetrator. Officer Phil Van Adder, I don't Mm -hmm. know if I'm saying that right. I don't, I'm not. Who was later a lead detective of the O.J. Simpson case, interviewed... Neighbors in the Hollywood Hills area, including Marlon Brando, who had a house like right there, all of which claimed to know nothing of the death. The officers believed this to be true because the body could not have been seen from any of the surrounding houses. The police were able to identify the body using fingerprints because she had she had a previous juvenile arrest record. The body was that of Jill Barkham. She was laid to rest in the St. Patrick's Cemetery on November 16th of 1977 in Oneida, New York. At the time, the police linked her death to the Hillside Strangler. Well, they found out that she had known one of the victims of the Hillside Strangler that was found in October. So they weren't sure if this was linked and whether or not it was... The right lead. Yeah. So, on December 14th, 1977, the LAPD received a call from the FBI. They were investigating the dis- the disappearance of Ellen Hover. If you remember, she's the one that had disappeared five months earlier in New York. They were looking for John Berger, since that was his name written in the diary. Um, their records now show that John Berger was Rodney Alcala, who was living in L.A., 
Now, the police had no trouble finding him and found out that he had worked for the LA Times or was working for the LA Times. Like, how fucking hard can it be when you use real name and you're working for the fucking LA Times? Well, it was hard for them to figure out who the fuck he was because they won't do a background check. Oh, okay. Jesus Jesus. Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank God they started doing that shit now. No kidding. Fuck this is me. why. If you ever get pissed off at a, at a, a background, background check? check for a job, like, this, this is, is fucking why. why. They found out that it was Rodney Alcala that was working for the LA Times in LA. Um, they had no time. F- they had no trouble finding him because of that. They told him that Ellen Hover was missing and they wanted to know if he knew anything about it. He told them that not only did he know her, but that he was with her the day of her disappearance. Can I get a fucking hallelujah for fucking (laughs) self-incrimination? However, here's where this goes. They became friends. Um, what? Yeah. But that's what he said about him and Ellen, that him and Ellen were friends. But fucking what? Yeah. He was with her on the day of her disappearance. He said that they became friends and he was taking photos of the Upper East Side of Manhattan. The pair had gone to Westchester, excuse me, about a half an hour away where he was taking photographs of her. Now, he swore that that he had no idea what happened to her after that. Mhm. Now, that being said, the police asked him to take a polygraph test in which he refused. And after several more hours of investigation, they had no other option but to let him go because nobody corpus delicti. Yeah. Nobody, no crime. Yep. And no good evidence. So off you fucking go. Fucker. So to recap where we're leaving you this week this fine week this fine week we have our good buddy rodney alcala are we gonna call him a good buddy no i I, like no like my good buddies are my fucking like you're my good buddy we have our cunt face and not the good kind of cunt like the bad kind of cunt the horrible cunt i want to i i need to work on a romanian accent yes 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 it's a good Good buddy and a bad cunt. <laughs> a bad cunt. A bad cunt. Rodney Alcala, a.k.a. John Berger, who has been convicted of the molestation of Talia and spent less than three years in prison for her. Then, oh, that wasn't just molestation. That was attempted fucking but murder. But that's all he got that's, charged mm-hmm. for. Then back to prison for a few years for violating parole and giving drugs to a minor where he spent... A little bit more time. Yeah, because he fucking took a 13-year-old that nobody believed she was actually abducted. Christ. We have Talia, who was raped and nearly murdered. Michael Crilly, whose murder is unsolved. 13-year-old Julie, who was kidnapped, kissed, and forced to smoke weed, but got away. Ellen Hover. Good God. Hover, who was missing but with no body and no evidence, and Jill Barkham, who was brutally raped, strangled, and murdered. And next week, we'll there's more. Oh, but wait, but wait, there's more. Don't worry, it continues to be just as fucked up. Just for a little snick pick, 
this son of a bitch was still getting charged with things in 2016. Are you fucking... Two years ago. Okay, I didn't know that. Like, I knew a lot around, uh, like about Rodney Alcala, but I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, he was still going How did in. I not fucking know that? He, I guess he was still getting charged with things in 2016. Like, Let's do some Patreon shout-outs. You Patreons are our bitches. Um, so let's give a great big high five. High five. To our alpha dogs, Clinton Toon and Tiffany Rivera. Next, Piper. Yes. You you know who you are. You mm-hmm. are bitch. Huh? Uh, she actually sent me a photo of her making corned beef and hash because she missed me. Because that's what <laughs> I made for her and Polly that for breakfast. Yum. And me. Don't forget about well, me. Well, yeah. I, I know was there, bitch. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. Come back out. there. I'll kick my kid out of his bed. You can sleep there. We'll, well I fucking told her have next pancakes. Time she could sleep here too. Because I got beds people don't even sleep in. Fuck. Perfect. All over the place. Because nobody sleeps in their beds in this house but me. I want French toast now. Oh, God. Yes. Go. Yes. We also have Amber Toothman, Allison Ernst, Ashley Baxley, Sarah Thompson. Um, <laughs> Alyssa Boyles, Allison Ernst, Jessica Reinstein, which I immediately am like. Rammstein? Du hast, du hast mich. Uh, also, Cammy Willard, Lynn Shirley, and Amy Scott. Thank you guys so very much. Very much. Very much. Very I like much. it very much. Very much. We have Felicia Alvarez, Jairo Batista. You never answered if you were related to Batista, by the way. I, I need to saying, know. Are we saying his name right? We are. I asked him. I thought so. <laughs> I feel very smart because I was like, no, dude, it's Hyro. I would have never said it right. I would have been like, j Only because know. I have Filipino and Latino friends. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I was way off. That's like learning how to say fucking Nigerian names. It's oh. fucked up. Yeah. I don't know how to do any of them. Liana, Liana, DeRowan, Louis Butler, Kelly Van Louis! Brookout. Louis! Louis! Kelly Louis, Van... Louis. Oh, but, no, I'm just sorry. Kelly Van Bookout, Joe Ryder, Mike Brown from Pleasing Terrors, Terrors Podcast. Thank you so much. Hallie Colvard, Catherine Moore, and Brent Ansel. Uh, also, Jenna Corbett, who does, uh, what is her podcast? In the Woods? Yes. Yeesh. Yeesh. Uh, Tamlin Wood, Brandon Shepard, Carl Pawlowski, who does, uh, that's Pavo from... That's No Moon. It's a podcast, and he also does uh, Foot of the Mountain. So thank you very much for your um, support. Mindy Smith, Comeback Podcast, Hillbilly Horror Stories, Valerie Johnson, and The True Crime. True Jesus Christ. True True Crime Crime Fan Club. I also forgot to mention that Liana DeRowan is from Les Mordia. Oh, fuck me. I forgot, because it just says their names here, and I I have to, yeah. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm very simple, y'all. Yeah. Uh, we're both very simple. Let's I'm go ahead and simple fucking. simple bitch. Speaking of being a simple bitch. Simple bitch. Last week, we told you that I edited some shit and put it together, and with the help of my little brother, <laughs> the most, oh, we God. made the most amazing. I'm slightly embarrassed. I love it. The most amazing collaboration of Angel (laughs) saying, so. Um. (laughs) Because. And now it's going to be a thing where she she texted me and was like, I hope you don't think I'm being an asshole. (laughs) 
and I'm not making fun of you, but you have to hear this. And then she sends me this fucking clip of me saying so um, four minutes almost four minutes worth of so that i cut out of one episode just because that's it's hard to just start talking so you think you need a lead-in word so it's like so so, so. yeah so, and how many times so. did i just say it yeah four i say yeah i cut me yeah. saying yeah oh my god that is like me and spencer listened to it a few times when we were like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah because i added in me saying a few things but, but so um yeah, so is Kagan, what you're gonna hear. <laughs> so, um, Kagan helped me put some music to this and gave it a little beat. He's my and favorite little. He is sprite too. God bless his little soul. I know. He. I'm gonna kidnap him and put him in my basement. Can I have him sometimes too? Well, we should probably keep him in your basement. Yeah, your this is his old bedroom. Perfect. Yeah. Him and Jace. I'll keep them both. I'll keep you both. I keep you both. Little. Oh, that will be attached to the <laughs> to the end of this after we do our next few little plugs, and then you will hear hear seer hear. You're oh, yes. you're going to hear some stuff. Some some so um, so um, <laughs> so um. <laughs> if you would like some of our merchandise, you go so, to um, you, you go, go so um, you go to the so um, you go. <laughs> To colormedeadpod.threadless.com. You can get all kinds of shit there. If you want different kinds of shit, you can go to redbubble.com backslash people backslash colormedeadpod. That's where I got our laptop skin. And I also ordered a tank top from there today. And also because February is Teen Dating Violence Month um, and we're big uh, domestic violence advocates we want to keep you in mind with nancy abercrombie um she does damsel in defense which can also be used for men as well uh which have stun guns uh knuckle braces they have uh pepper spray a lot of other things you can find her at mydamselpro.net slash pro nancy you can also reach out to Nancy at 303-960-7343, and I definitely encourage you to do so. She's been a huge supporter of the show, and um, if ever there was a time to get yourself set up with personal defense items, it would be through her right now. Yeesh. 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 So how about don't talk to strange photographers and, and stay, stay out, out of chalk, chalk lines? lines. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, bitches. Bitch. You bitch. <laughs> so, um, 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 so, so, uh, um, so, um, so, 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 um, um, so, so, yeah. So, but, uh, so, so, um, so, 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 I gotta get my shit together. Well, and so.
So, 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 